0: We're going to talk about pretense today. Pretense is one of those words that we don't really have in our English vocabulary very much. We don't have it in our daily uh, routine of words that we say, but pretense, especially when we talk Easter, pretense is something that actually is what we need to work through. Here's what pretense is defined as. Right out of the dictionary, we still have those. Attempt to make something that is not the case appear true. It's also defined as a claim, especially a false or an ambitious one. And so keep that definition in your mind as we walk into Where does pretense show up in our life, and how do we actually get rid of of pretense? Here's what Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 6. If you don't, it'll be on the screen behind me. We read these words, be careful, it's Jesus speaking, be careful not to practice your righteousness, your good deeds, all the good things in front of others to be seen by them. Then Jesus says this, if you do, you will not, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, because they want to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, you have received their reward in full. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is in secret, will reward you. Verse 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We start to see a pattern there. Now look down at verse 16. We're going to look at 16 through 21. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites, the religious leaders do. For they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your faith so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. I mean, we see a a tough pattern being developed here. Look at verse 18. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal then this powerful verse for where your treasure is there your heart will be also for for some of us we know this season to be the season of lent millions around the world take Lent as an act of sacrifice and maybe to test their self-discipline. Maybe you've heard yourself say this or one of your friends, oh, I'm going to give up chocolate or I'm going to give up social media or I'm going to give up this or give up that. Christians do this, Christ followers do this to represent Jesus' sacrifice. When he went into the desert to pray, For the 40 days before dying on the cross. So that's kind of where the Lent connection comes in. But I want to challenge you with something this year. What do you need to add to your life during this season? What is something that you should actually put into your life leading up to Easter? Today, we're going to talk about pride. And the Easter story is littered full of examples where pride creeps in. Where people went, I don't need a savior. Let's just get rid of Christ at the end of this. Maybe the the question that we need to wrestle with this morning is, how often are you and I actually tempted to think that we're more important than we really are? I know me, I like to be the center of attention, I like to promote myself, I like to receive praise from others, I like the applause of people. But it always causes me to be more concerned about myself than it does others. You're going to see a quote that's going to come up on the screen. David Rhodes said this, and this is powerful words about pride. Pride is the direction of the soul. Pride's roots go really deep, only till only a little left behind sprouts again. Its seeds, pride's seeds, lodge in the tiniest encouraging cracks. Pride flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. See, there's two kinds of, of pride. There's the, the first kind of pride that actually draws us closer to God. It's a, it's a healthy kind of pride. It's pride that you take in doing a job well. It's pride that drives you to do your best. Second Corinthians verse seven through and four, Paul says this and great words from Paul I've spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all my troubles, my joy knows no bounds. But then there's the second kind of pride, the pride that drives us further from God. Proverbs 16, verse 5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Pride is the one thing in our life that keeps us from celebrating other people's successes. It's the one thing that eliminates us from actually apologizing when we need to. It's the one thing that keeps us from arguing our point even after we realize that we don't really have a great point anymore, but we just keep arguing. Pride is something that we do when we fail to admit we're lost. Pride keeps us from admitting our weaknesses. keeps us from admitting we need help it keeps us from admitting that we don't have a clue what we're doing even though everyone else knows we have no clue what we're doing pride keeps us from being honest with ourselves it keeps us from being honest with others it keeps us from learning new things because we want people all around us to know that we know everything Pride is what causes us to feel good when someone else fails. It's what causes us to power up when we should be opening up. It's what causes us to cheat before we lose. It's what causes us to lie about our past. It's what causes us to always have the final word. It's what causes us to buy things to impress people who aren't paying any attention to you. And it causes us to always be the center of attention. Jesus, in those verses that we read, talked about people who like to be the center of attention. Just like today, there were people in that day who liked to hear the applause and acclaim of others. But if you go back to Matthew 6, there's a few really important things for us to learn. Jesus addresses three main things. Giving, prayer, and fasting. Now, the interesting thing is that Jesus did not say, if you give, if you pray, or if you fast. Jesus said, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. See, Jesus actually expects us to do those good things. He's just addressing the good things because many times we start to do the wrong things. It's me doing good so that other people think I'm wonderful instead of God being the one who is wonderful. Jesus says that self-promotion is hypocritical. Our word hypocrite actually comes from the Greek word for an actor. In the first century, actors traveled from town to town in small troops. They would present their play with individual actors playing multiple roles. The actors wore masks to denote what role they were playing at the time. You see, when you're full of unhealthy pride, you put on masks to mask to make other people or something that is not genuine. That might involve your generosity. That might involve your religiosity. It might involve your virtuosity. The problem with pride is that you can see it so clearly in other people, but fail to see it in yourself. Well, Jesus warns us with two simple things about pride. The first thing that he warns us about is he always goes, pride is self-serving. In Jesus' example, there were people, they were supposed to be giving to the needy, but they were really not concerned about the needy person. They were only concerned with the act of, look at me, do this. Galatians 5, verse 26 says, Let us not become conceited. Let's not provoke. Let's not envy each other. But the second thing that Jesus warns us about our pride is, it's always self-destructive. Pride doesn't make us bigger and stronger. It makes us actually smaller and weaker pride actually diminishes you. It diminishes your capacity to admit what you need to admit. It diminishes your capacity to acknowledge what you need to acknowledge. It diminishes your ability to apologize when you need to apologize. It keeps you from saying what needs to be said. It keeps you from hearing what needs to be heard. It keeps you from giving what needs to be given. Here's the thing, pride always crowds people out. When you're full of you, there's no room for anyone else. Pride even has the potential to crowd God out as well. Psalm 10 verse 4 says this, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is absolutely no room for God. Somebody said it like this, Pride is a prison. It shuts me in and shuts God and others out. James 4 verse 6 says this, But God gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Alright, this is good. So how do we actually cure this unhealthy pride? Jesus says that we should resist the temptation to impress. He tells us that prideful people do a lot of what they do to be honored by men. They want to impress people. They like to show off. They want people to take notice of them and have a high opinion of them. Friends, here at Daybreak, how have we done that individually, but more importantly, how have we done that as a church? The reason that we become prideful is because we become so so insecure. We always need attention from others to boost our self-esteem. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on the first day of the last week of his earthly life, people shouted, Hail Jesus! Here comes the Savior! By the end of that same week, they were saying, Nail Jesus to the cross! See, people are always inconsistent in their opinions. But Jesus gives a second thing to do to resist being prideful, to avoid being prideful. Simply let your good deeds, your actions, speak for themselves. Just do it. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't draw attention to what you've done. If they're truly good deeds, they will be rewarded by God. True greatness requires no trumpet. It speaks for itself. The third thing that Jesus says to avoid being prideful is to resolve to do good whether you're recognized or not. If you make this decision to fast, to pray, to give, just keep doing it. That's probably the hardest for us. Matt, you're telling me no thanks, no recognition, no bragging, no boasting, just quietly going about my work here on earth? For sure, God knows. And God says we'll be rewarded for our acts of grace. See, our part in practicing the presence of God, especially as we walk into Easter, is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. Friends, in the early time of our practicing, we may be well challenged by habits of dwelling on things less than God. But a new grace-filled, and that's what we're talking about this morning, pride, the opposite to pride is grace. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward becoming God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of the compass constantly returns to north. Friends, don't seek honor from human beings. Seek honor from God. Your reward is helping others, not getting recognition. Giving in secret is a great way to train yourself not to toot your own horn because there's no one to listen. Jesus Christ is, of course, the the door, he's the light, he's the way. We are privileged as daybreak to walk in this profound reality, not just preach it. The way forward then lies in intentionally keeping the scenes and the words of the Bible before our minds, carefully reading and rereading them every day. By this means, we walk with him moment by moment. The one who promised be with us always. We can choose to practice constantly returning our minds to God in a given day. In the evening, we can review how we did and think of ways to do it better the next day. As you and I continue this practice, this gentle but persistent practice, we soon find that the person of Jesus and his beautiful words automatically are occupying our minds instead of the clutter and the noise of the world that we live in. If your aim is to get noticed by other people, Jesus says that it's all the reward that you're going to get. If you give you if you give to demonstrate your own generosity, sure, you'll receive some ad- admiration from other people, but that's all you're going to get. That's your payment in full. But if your aim is to simply do the things with the right motive, then you will receive a heavenly reward. You see, worship will become the constant undertone of our life, of our lives. It's the single most powerful force in contemplating and sustaining this restoration of ourselves to be whole. The power of the indwelt Christ in us flows from us to others. Friends, we're not trying to worship. Worship is not another job that you and I have. You see, the, the, the great central themes of life in Christ are these. Faith, hope, love, and peace. They're not just feelings. They're not just good words that we say. They equip us to live in this world. Jesus taught us to abide in God's love that our joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Our joy is full when there is room for for more. Abiding in God's love provides us the unshakable source of joy, which always nets itself in peace and grace and goodness. Faith, hope, love, joy, peace are inseparable from each other, and they support each other. Try to imagine one of those words, faith, hope, love, joy, and peace, without another one. So in Psalm 46, verse 10, when David penned the words, hiding in the cave from King Saul, who was outside of the cave with a a spear, trying to kill him, be still and know. In other words, friends, step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at Jesus. God's provision for us and for his work for us is adequate. You and I don't have to make it happen. We don't have to start shouldering the burdens of outcomes. You might say this, and maybe this is what you need to add to your life in this season. Matt, I don't have time for extensive solitude and silence. I have way too much to do. The truth is, you do not have time not to practice solitude and silence. No time is more profitable spent than used by God to heighten the quality of an intimate walk with him. If we think otherwise, then my job has been done poorly. The real question that you need to ask yourself this season is, will we take time to do what is necessary for the abundant life and the abundant ministry, or will we try to just do it by ourselves? God never gives anyone too much to do. So friends, this season, as we start this first Sunday of a journey toward Easter, this season is a time for us to take off our mass and come as we are. So the question as we come back into worship is this, what mass do you need to remove as you walk to Easter? Let's pray. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads what a great role that you've given to us here in this world. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians that we're to be ambassadors of Christ, agents of restoration to a world that desperately needs it. And in that, it's not for our own glory, it is for your glory. So show us in the next few minutes the areas in our life where pride has creeped in, where We've moved from it being about God to it's about me. My wisdom, my abilities, my talents, my resources. Lord, thank you for the place that you've placed Daybreak and us in. We look with great expectation to see what you're going to do in and through us. We love you. In your name. Amen.